0: Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film.
1: And that is why we exist. To focus on the emotional connection more than the technical merit. Because
0: every movie makes us feel something. Hey everyone, and welcome to the final installment of our 100 episode celebration as we conclude the Pixar trilogy Toy Story. I'm Patch, and with me to celebrate is my best friend and co-host Aaron. Hello, the buddy to my woods. <laughs> I did it again. That's even different. I think that's
1: different. Is that the bud
0: buzzy? It's buzzy to wood. It's, how can no, I? How buzzy. can
1: I have a layup? And I, that's literally. I just
0: missed a wide open layup. That is yeah. what. I, the you're of, yeah, you're not ready for March Madness. We're I
1: swung gonna... and missed. When the the ball was on a tee,
0: that What's, was terrible. How many sports analogies can we throw in there? Oh. I snapped the ball to you and you fumbled there. We'll make it just to finish out the three Goodness. big <laughs> Well, we hope you've enjoyed listening so far, not just in the last 30 seconds, <laughs> but to the last couple of episodes. But if this is your first time, Timmy and Ian, uh, we hope you check out the first two installments. They're pretty fun. Uh, now, before we get into talking about this last episode, not this last episode, this last movie of our three-part celebration. Aaron, why don't you take us down memory lane one more time and tell us about one of your favorite episodes from these last 100 that we've covered?
1: Sure. And this was very difficult. So I thought when we started this off, you know, we're going to do one each per episode that gets us six total if we pick different episodes that we get to talk about. And that would be enough. But when I started trying to narrow down this last choice to one episode, it was quite difficult for me. There are so many fond memories I have of the last two years of doing this show, and I almost picked a certain episode, but then I saw that you were going to talk about that one, and I decided I would wait because, you know, I don't want to don't want tag team. There's plenty more to discuss, and a, a lot of things stood out to me. Our end of year episodes, our year in review episodes, those um, are real high points and I urge everyone to check those out. It's a different format for us. It's something very unique and both of those have just been supremely enjoyable for me just having that conversation with you. Episode 75, The Perks of Being a Wallflower was a a very emotional episode, uh, kind of a personal deep dive for us in a way that I thought was pretty special as well. But the one that I decided to land on and recommend, I guess, or the one that overpoweringly came to my mind was episode 83, Black Hawk Down. And the way that this came about was I had rewatched the movie in October. Uh, We were a bunch of friends were doing 31 days of horror movies. And I was like, I'm going to be a champion. I'm going to do 31 days of war movies instead because war is horror was my thing. And I got like halfway through the month, which, by the way, is pretty impressive. I applaud anyone who can do 31 days in a row of movies. I I do a lot of movies, but that is an insane commitment to make sure you do one a day. But I had watched this movie again, and it really smacked me. Like like I did not remember it doing the first time. And I told you immediately, I was like, Patrick, I want to cover this. And you said, all right, let's do it. And you kind of shifted the schedule around, and we put it in there a couple weeks later. In November, we did it as a tribute to Veterans Day, and I really just felt like it was uh, it was an extremely blunt discussion about the ferocity of war, courage, and ultimately sacrifice. And I, it brought me to tears in the end. Um, I read a letter that just still, just thinking about it gets me very um, emotionally upset. And it's definitely one I'm always going to remember and highly recommend for folks to check out. I think that it was a strong example of what we aspire to be at our best when we are talking about a film and how we connect with it emotionally. So episode 83, Black Hawk Down is the memory that that I point out for this episode.
0: Yeah, it's really good. And not just because of everything you mentioned, but also this is my first time to watch it. So it's always nice to be able to visit films that I haven't seen it for, from a personal standpoint. It's, and it's fun, I guess, for our dynamic to be able to bring a film to the table that one of us has not seen. And I know with, with Kubrick month, that was one of those deals where we had full metal jacket, which I had never seen before. So it was nice to be able to, to catch that. And I want to, I believe there have been a handful, not many, but a handful of other movies that, that you haven't seen that I have. So having that kind of, uh, kind of opposites play against each other, create a good conversation. Not really opposites. I would say more of just like, you know, history versus first time stuff. I think it brings a lot to the table.
1: It really does. I'm trying to think what that might be. Obviously, so the, it's not going to be any... Goonies? Did you? Did Goonies. You...
0: Yes, definitely Goonies. Goonies, yes, <laughs> Goonies.
1: I can't believe I'm admitting that again. But yeah, yeah. I had not seen Goonies. Uh, if, or maybe I'd seen it when I was young and I didn't remember anything about it. Yeah. But I definitely remember Goonies being kind of like feeling like a first time watch. But there aren't many, so it, it's a pretty cool experience for for me as well when I yeah. get to try one out for the first time.
0: Yeah. Well early on for me, I, I was thinking about some of our early episodes and we were when we were trill trill, when we were still trying to find our identity, and we were looking at films that were kind of uh underrated, kind of um, I don't know, looked at in a negative light, and we ran across one called Tomorrowland. And the episode wasn't really what drew my attention. It was actually a response that we got from a guy that we've come to become good friends with, Chad Hopkins, over at a podcast called Cinescope. Well, that led to a a friendship and us being guests on his show at one point individually. uh, You and I have had a chance to talk about movies that we love uh, with him. And the episode that really stood out to me involved him. And it was episode 65 that we did. um, We covered Baby Driver. And this was the first time for us in in how we approached this. Uh, you were in town, which was a rare thing, you know, living on the West coast. It's, um, it's interesting to hear people that we come into contact with think that we're either both living in Arkansas or both living in Seattle because they hear one or the other and they're like, Oh, what time zone are you in? Oh, I'm in the central time zone. Oh, I thought you were, you know, anyway. And so this is one of those rare occasions when you and I actually got to podcast together. Well, we also had this opportunity to meet up with Chad. In Texarkana, Texas, and go see this movie that we were gonna cover. Texarkana, Arkansas. It was on the I thought it was on the Texas side. Well, whatever. Texarkana,
1: Arkansas. We're not gonna represent Texas here. We are Kansans. Okay. Well, Chad came
0: all the way over from Texas to, <laughs> to <laughs> all the way over from next door. door. <laughs> in any case, we all got together down south. <laughs> to to watch this movie and and it was a good movie i mean we i think we all had some really great things to say about it but what really stood out to me was the fact that one we got a chance to connect with a fellow podcaster with someone that we'd gotten to know in the podcast community and we got to do this thing it felt like we were doing it live why because we were in a loud starbucks over we were live well, we, we weren't live we were not in a studio true because we didn't you know people weren't listening as we, now if we'd been like on hangouts or something, maybe so. But I think what that did for me was not only did it help solidify just this cool friendship that that we have with him, but it also really sort of s- just signified part of what his podcast is all about. It was celebrating a movie that we love. You know, it was celebrating the movie going experience. It was celebrating the being able to have an immediate reaction afterwards and talking through that stuff. And it was a chance just to experience that all in community. And to me, that's really what I get the most out of the podcast. We have our good days, we have our bad days, we have high points and low points, but through it all, you and I enjoy doing this together. And I think that's where the love of this podcast is really going to live at its core is not just the movies that we talk about, but the fact that we're talking about them together. And so getting a chance to share that with someone else who loves movies just as much as we do and kind of deepen that friendship with him. Baby Driver is definitely one that stands out to me.
1: Yes, it was the one that I was thinking about picking as well. And for many of those reasons, it was so cool to get to meet Chad and do that episode live and, you know, track and carry our gear down to Texarkana and then, you know, try to get set up. And I think we went to one Starbucks and it wasn't going to work out. And so we had to leave and we had to go find another Starbucks or location. And, you know, we roll in and Chad's got this big mic stand with a, <laughs> a suppressor on it, you know, and, and so we were set up and, you know, you had to talk to the baristas and kind of explain to them, Hey, listen, this is what we're doing. Can you turn that speaker above my head down a little bit? Cause that really is annoying and loud. And it was a unique thing, not something that we would do a lot of probably, but because of its rarity, I think it was definitely enhanced. And, and, and just, it was just special to get to do it with you in person like that live. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember on our drive home that night, um, we re-listened to our first ever podcast episode together yeah, in the car. Nice. We was, listened to our BVS episode and critiqued it. And that was, was, like...
0: that was fun too. <laughs> well, and it, it, it called back to, I think it was just before we were going to do our BVS episode that we were testing Skype uh, and, and whatever. And I remember you saying something very specific. I was on... I was actually at work, so I couldn't talk very long because that would be awkward. You, that'd be my own cube and somebody'd be hearing me talking to myself or whatever. But I remember you at the very end of the phone call, you were like, man, this is so cool. I get to, you know, we get to see each other and, and talk because up to that point, it was all just voxer. It was all just like audio. And so adding that, adding that layer of being able to talk about things that we really love pseudo face to face was one thing. And then getting a chance to, again to do it in person. I mean, it definitely adds a a dynamic of, of enjoyability, but it still gets to the heart of our, of our love for this. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, good stuff, man. Let's go ahead and drop into, to our review. And uh, before we do, as always, we want to give our spoiler alert that everything we talk about is probably going to spoil the movie. So having said that, go ahead and check it out. If you haven't check out the other two episodes and the movies that we were talking about, and that way you can get in on the conversation in full. Aaron, let's start with you. Let's start with your one word takeaway and uh, go ahead and get us started.
1: Well, for Toy Story 3, I am going to go with the word together. And the reason that I landed on that is because I think that the thing that I love most about this series is that nothing happens as a solo act. I'm a little burnt out on superhero culture right now. And a big part of that is because everything is solo titled. Now, we have team-ups. I I understand that those exist, but not n- there's not a lot of them in comparison to solo stories where we're really focusing in on one hero who is who is the the main protagonist. In this series, we have so many moments that elevate teamwork above any semblance of one man show. And in this movie, it, it definitely focuses on that as well, on how much the toys are a family and how they have to work together and be together to get through this situation that they're going through. It's not Andy or I'm sorry, it's not Woody going through this. It's not Buzz going through this. It's they're all going through this. And so while Woody may be this, Series primary star, if it had to have one. If you had to put a face on it, you might put Woody's face on it. But really, he accomplishes nothing on his own throughout the entire series. And in the end, he realizes exactly how much being with all of the other toys matters. It's all about being together. And so, I, and it shifts because it starts off with it's all about being together with Andy. And in the end, it's all about being together with your friends, with your family. And so that's the word that I landed on uh, this time around. And I really, really enjoyed this viewing of Toy Story 3. I got to tell you, when I went and looked at my letterbox, when I went to put on my review of this, I noticed that I had given it four stars and I hadn't reviewed it. I just watched it when it first came out in theaters and given it four stars and that was it. And uh, I was like, what was wrong with me? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because in hindsight, I really truly feel like all three of these films are five stars to me, if not more. There are three trilogies that I consider to be the apex of serial storytelling where all three installments of all three series have five stars, and that's the Lord of the Rings, the Before Trilogy, and Toy Story. So this is truly cemented its place for me um, in my life as an all-time favorite series, as something that just is emotionally resonating. And I think Toy Story 3 brought it all together and brought it all home. This this idea of watching this again as a parent with intentionality of picking up on certain things as a, from parent standpoint was so much different for me. And I just, I really, really loved it. And I'm, I make, I to hear what your uh, takeaway word was too.
0: Well, I'm glad that you enjoy these movies individually or together. Um, I, I, I definitely agree that this is a trilogy much like the, the, the apes trilogy. These last several years has gotten better with each installment and much like you, each, each film carries with it its own just high value in terms of being enjoyable. The rewatchability is there, and individually, they all represent a great uh, individual story among this giant narrative that they're telling. And for me, Toy Story Three does something very interesting here. You mentioned from the from the second installment how it, it takes a deep turn. Uh, the second movie just kind of goes from like, oh, this is a fun kids movie to wow, here's something a little bit heavier. Well, if that's the case, then Toy Story three takes us into the deep end of the pool with scuba equipment, because I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, it's real. There's a a lot here. And what we could just kind of pick out in pieces in Toy Story two, we can just say, Oh, yep. That scene. Yep. That scene. Yep. That moment. Yep. I mean, this really feels like it's more for adults than it is kids or at least equally as much, but weighted more to an adult. And the word that I took away from this is beyond. And what I mean by that is we know the, we know the no pun intended, the buzz phrase here of to infinity and beyond. And it particularly that word has come to mean a lot throughout the course of the series for me. It started out as that tagline from a space Ranger and it's, but now it's come to mean more about the notion of wondering what's next. The question is asked in a lot of ways, the events of the film. And it's done in a way that causes me to look at what that means, not just to grow up, but to ask what's out there beyond infinity. What's out there beyond what I'm experiencing right now? Um, There was a quote that, that I found as I was doing some research for the movie, and it says specifically about Andy's toys, their existence is entirely codependent on their owner. And the central question of the film becomes this, what happens to a toy when its owner has outgrown playing with them. And this particular article was talking a lot about several things, but one of the things he took away was as you get older and you get kind of placed, you know, old, you know, when, when people get old and they get placed in these homes and they get sort of discarded when they're placed in, you know, assisted living or nursing homes, things like that, where you have this picture that's being painted of life after your youth or life after adulthood, when you're no longer necessary to the people around you, and Toy Story Three does more than just play with this theme. I think it hits heavy when it comes to that. And so, one of the questions that I took away was, "What does infinity look like to us uh, first as kids and and then as adults?" So, I wanted to kind of get your opinion on that. When you hear the word infinity in the context of kind of what I've been thinking about, do you? Do you have an opinion about that from being a kid and now as an adult? How, what, how, how does that change for you when you hear about the word infinity?
1: Well, I completely agree with you that it's very existentially heavy this time around. I, I, the themes that are going on in this film are very deep. And there's a lot of dialogue that gets thrown around, even just kind of ideas thrown out there that that aren't they aren't honed in on it's not like a big conversation um but thoughts about identity and and what someone's destiny and life is supposed to be like um and so when i think of infinity specifically as to infinity and beyond and what that means you know as a child i feel like this series does a great job of showing us through andy's eyes as andy is growing up what it's like to not want to give up a piece of your childhood, to not want to give up those toys. There is a connection there that when you are living in that moment, you want it to be infinite. Like your happiness when you're playing with those toys is a joyful moment that you wish could just last forever. And there's so much uncertainty. There's so much, heavy weight that comes into the world that that is kind of synonymous or, or that is kind of connected with the idea of putting away childish things and becoming an adult. And so for me, infinity as a child looks like not having to grow up, not having to do, de- it's Peter Pan, right? It's Peter Pan syndrome of, I don't have to grow up. I can just live in this bubble of enjoyment where I don't have to deal with the outside workings of the world, I can enjoy my created imaginative universe that, that I have here. Whereas for an adult, once we've lived some life and we've gone through trials and troubles and we've seen how the world works and time starts to become more and more finite to me, infinity becomes a much more spiritual matter where I think about it in terms of well, what happens after I die? Where am I going to go? Am I going to go somewhere? What's it going to be like where I go? You know, and those questions really start to to hit home for me. And it it makes me wonder, like when I'm when I'm watching this movie from the toys perspective, ten years has passed. I mean, do they age? (laughs) This, I here we go with existentialism again. Like, do they get old? Do they have a lifespan? Yeah, uh, you know, from that doesn't revolve around getting thrown into dumpster or something.
0: Right. That's a great question. And I mean, the truth is, is that like kids, we don't have to worry about the things like we do as adults, but the things that we have to worry about as kids seem kind of dumb as adults. Like I I look at my child and I look at how freaked out he gets when something breaks that we can easily fix with super glue. But then I think how freaked out I get (laughs) When in his mind, he's like, that's no big deal because he doesn't understand that. And while I could say, well, my stuff's more important in reality, my stuff's just important because I'm an adult and he, his stuff in is in
1: context, right? In exactly. Yeah. So,
0: I mean, you take the toys, the toys do not age. Uh, Woody doesn't have to pay taxes. You know, he doesn't have to worry about getting a license. He doesn't have to worry about, um, you know, finding out whether or not he's, uh, he's, you know, going to have some kind of like, Colon cleansing when he's forty five or you know whatever it. <laughs> what I'm saying, what I'm saying is that that toys, as depicted in this movie, don't have to worry about the things that we worry about as human beings because they are they're they that's what they, they're toys. But the film shows us that they have to worry about something that's significant to them, and that's having to adapt to the next stage of their purpose, the next stage of their life. And particularly with new owners and Lotso sort of throws that at them and says, Hey, you'll never get tired of being played with because these kids that come into the, to the daycare, you'll always get new owners, temporary owners all the time, all the time. But the fact is that's not completely true because it's not just about getting a new owner. The movie is just about how you get treated and what your owners actually like, you know, so it's more about who you're it's equally as much about who your owner is than just about being played with. And I think that that toy right. story three really paints a fantastic picture of, the, of, of showing that difference. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's definitely do. Cause you get played within the, the daycare. It's, it's not fun. They're, no. they're thrown around and, and treated, mistreated. And it's much, much closer to what Sid would do than what Andy would do.
0: Well, that's interesting. I was thinking about that. And I kind of made this comparison in my head of which is worse getting played with by Sid or getting played with by these toys. And I would say, at least on the surface, getting played with by Sid because Sid is out to destroy the toys. And it's a conscious
1: decision. Yeah. It's, it's, it's it's definitely intentional on Sid's part on the daycare. It's just the children are too young. They don't know how to play properly with the toys.
0: Right. Get them to the caterpillar room, please. Or is it the butterfly room? I can't remember. Whichever one's the nice one. I think it's the butterfly room where the kids are old and they're taking care of their thing. But, but yeah, for me, uh, as a child, I'm just like you. I think it's, it's about that infinite play, that imagination, that feeling that nothing will, uh, nothing can, can stop the fun that I'm having. Um, and, but in a sense, it's also like, what is it like to be an adult? I mean, I'm not necessarily consciously thinking about that as a kid. But I know that when I look at my son and he's asking about adult things, um, that's his infinite because he doesn't know what it's like to be an adult. And, you know, having grown up and, you know, being close to 40, I'm starting to think about, well, what what is the next infinite for me? Is it is it my career? Is it um you know, what's the next significant step for me? And it, it it's it's something that I think we all think about because we all wonder at what point do we stop becoming purposeful do we stop becoming important to someone or something um andy of course is going off to college and so that question is sort of played with at the very beginning uh the toys are wondering about this future and woody says andy must care about us or we wouldn't be here and i want to ask you what do you think he means by that do you think it's optimistic pessimistic naive i mean what's your takeaway from that
1: well, I wrote this down actually myself as well because he he says specifically he says Andy's going to take care of us. I guarantee it. And Buzz responds and says whatever happens at least we'll be together. And then and and not Andy, Woody. And then Woody says to infinity and beyond. And I think they they are both I love that moment by the way because the two of them are now together kind of co-leading the family uh, as a as a pair. There's not one person in charge. Uh, There's a a scene at the very beginning where Andy's kind of – I keep saying Andy – where Woody is giving instructions to Buzz, you know, like rotate the toys and do these other things, and I really like that as well. But in this one, I feel like it's Woody and Buzz and Woody primarily really trying to motivate the group. He's trying to inspire them and motivate them to believe and have hope even in the face of impending doom, right? It's much like a politician in a lot of ways might do or a preacher. I mean, it could be anybody that's important in your life. A parent, you know, is someone that is trying to cheer you up and say, listen, look at the brights. you know, have hope. Don't despair. Don't give up. Andy is going to, he's going to keep us. We're going to be together. It's going to be okay. So is it naive? Absolutely. It's naive. hundred percent. I mean, I think deep down, if you look at I mean, when you look at the wonderfully nuanced uh, and subtlety of the animation itself, you can even read this in his plastic face, how he t- he doesn't fully believe the words he's saying. I don't think. But he wants to believe them so bad that he feels like he can kind of will it to be true. Mm -hmm. and I think that it's what the other toys need to hear I think I think they look to them to Woody and even to Buzz for that leadership role and they want them to ease their worry and ease their fear and so I think he's doing the right thing in a sense but obviously you know it's a it's it's a rough situation and I I don't
0: think that he's wrong though No, I think it's important to keep a level head. And I think what he's doing is he's maintaining stability among the family. And this is, of course, before we find out what their fate is, um, for the attic or for the, for college, because obviously Andy doesn't consciously throw these toys out. And as I'm, as I'm looking at the scenery in his room, because I I love the fact that we get this nice, at the beginning, we get we get kind of a flash forward. We get a kind of let's catch up with them now. And we see the room change. We see how it's kind of become more of a teenage Andy's room. I also like the fact that that he's got more of a prominent role than he has in the first two. And as a side note, I love that the creators kept the same voice actor <laughs> throughout the course of the films. And so our teenage Andy is the same Andy that we were introduced to in the first film. So he's been carried along with the story equally as much as these other, other characters. But for me, when I, when I, I hear that line, Andy must care about us or we wouldn't be here. What that tells me is that there were points in those last six, seven, eight years, uh, 10 years where he could have chosen to pass them along. Um, they, he, they talk about that.
1: They yeah. Would, say, and they say, and Bo, and then they Bo? like have a little moment of silence for Bo Peep.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Squeaky, I think, or whatever his name was. Uh, Weezy. We, yeah. these These characters that we weren't necessarily attached to, but we knew they were a part of Andy's toy family, that they had to move on. So even from the very beginning, we're getting a sense of finiteness and a sense of letting go but also we're getting a picture of the things that he does want to hold on to as long as he can, whether it's conscious or unconscious, because these aren't toys that are out and out on his floor. They're sitting in a toy box covered up by, you know, a big door. So there's this little duality going on of saying, I'm going to keep these toys, but I'm going to keep them close by, even though I'm not going to play with them. I'm going to keep them close to me and I'm going to subconsciously kind of protect them and hold on to them as long as I can. And so I think that, he does care. I think that is an indication that he does care because he hasn't given them away.
1: Which actually brings up another question though, is do, it, it, does he like he does on some level, but is that the right is doing, is he doing right by the toys? You know, is it, well, is it better for the toys to live in a box and wait for Andy to want to play with them once every 365 days or to live somewhere that they are valued and
0: treasured and, you know, shown love on a daily basis. Well, that's not something that he's thinking about as teenage Andy. I mean, he's thinking about his cell phone, he's thinking about his friends, and and I don't think it's his responsibility at that point to to try to make that decision. I mean, and the movie doesn't ask us to do that. They they give us the perspective gives us the perspective from the toys and saying they want to be played with. They wanted one last opportunity, that that whole opening sequence. I love that Rex is like, he touched me, you know, ah, you know. So so we get that kind of humorous way of communicating that they want to be played with one more time, but I don't think it's his responsibility to make them feel a certain way. Hey, before we move much further in
1: the story, I wanted to bring up that I really enjoy the opening of this film. Okay. It is one of the coolest animated film openings that has ever been done. I vividly remember being blown away by it in the theater. I I recall going, what is happening right now? Like, this is an adventure, and who are these characters? And it's it's just so flippin' much fun. I, I mean, it is awesome. You've got Evil Doctor Porkchop. Uh, you've got Giant Rex. You've got One-Eyed Bart. You've got this Barrel of Monkeys Stampede. And I feel like it really captures that feeling of playing with your toys and creating this big imaginative scenario that, that plays out. And it is an highlight reel for Pixar's talent as far as animation goes. I mean, it is crisp. It is, it is just staggeringly beautiful. And it's really no surprise to me
0: that this film was actually nominated for Best Picture. Did you know that? I did know that. Okay, and Knowing that it wasn't going to win because it's an animated feature, first up. Well, but, but yeah, the fact that it was was just great. That has only happened three times in history. Once was in the mid-90s with Beauty
1: and the Beast. And that was kind of like the one time, if you're going to look, was be the best, the the, the, eight, the highest point, because when Beauty and the Beast was nominated, it was only five at the time, and there was no animated special category for an animated feature. So Beauty and the Beast being nominated was like a huge deal. The only other two times it's happened was back-to-back years up and then Toy Story 3. And I mean, that's that's incredible. And, and I, mm-hmm. I really... Understood and felt like when I watched this movie this time around, like, okay, I get it. it. You know, this is shower this sucker just like you did Return of the King. You know, I, I give it all the awards if you must for all the others, you know, as a collective, because it really does close the series out perfectly, just like Return of the King does. You know, it brings it all together in just an amazing way. And I just, I think it's so cool. I didn't know that. And it kind of reaffirmed my, I didn't learn about it until after I'd finished watching the movie and it. It just reaffirmed my feelings that I was having about how incredible this was.
0: Yeah. The way the story is told, the beginning is fantastic because it's a, it's almost like a shot for shot remake of the very first film sequence. When we get Andy playing with this, it's the same story, you know, evil Dr. Porkchop and the barrel of monkeys and his giant, his giant, uh, his dinosaur, but it's played out, I feel like, in the mind of Andy. Like, it's, it's like, this is what we would imagine inside, um, our own heads if we were imagining this to play out. And I thought it was a great callback to the first, to the first film because it gets back to the heart of what Toy Story is about. And that's about imagination and about how toys. Get played with beyond what their expectation is, you know, Woody's not just a cowboy. He's the rootinest tootinest and, and he has his best friend, Buzz Lightyear, a space ranger, which in any other world, that would not make sense. Maybe cowboys and aliens, but not in maybe any other kind of straight up film that doesn't have this kind of, we're going to use your crazy imagination of a 10 year old to, to tell this story. So from an animation standpoint, absolutely. It's fantastic. But I love the fact that we get that kind of. Call back to the first one. Woody says this thing that's really interesting. He says, I have a kid, you have a kid, Andy. And if he wants us at college or in the attic, then our job is to be there for him. Now he hasn't been chosen to go to college yet, at least when he says this line, he hasn't, Andy hasn't made the the distinction. And so I wonder, do you think it's easy for him to say that even though there hasn't been a choice made? I mean, do you think he thinks he's gonna go to college? Do you think he looks at the attic as a good alternative? Because they're not gonna get played with. Um and and if so, I mean, how is that a better a better life for them? How is that a nice continuation for them as toys?
1: Oh, it's not. And that's kind of what I was alluding to earlier. I I don't think it is. Um in the context of their current identity and their worldview being that their existence is to be a toy to be played with. Like, that's why they exist. Their identity is that. I think that's kind of what is beautiful about the film series, though, and that's part of where I was going with my one-word takeaway being the word together, is that ultimately, for these characters, as they grow over the three movies, they get to a place where I could believe that they would be happy together without an Andy because I truly believe they are enough of a family that they would be able to manage and, and enjoy life amongst themselves. There's some outtakes that even kind of jokingly speak to that. You've got, you know, Rex with his girlfriend, the Triceratops, mm-hmm. uh, you know, playing video games together and things like that. So I think that, I think that they would be, be fine. But, you know, really the basis here is that no, it, them being without an owner, does not make sense and is not a loving act, would not be a loving act by Andy. No, but be selfish it, to be honest to keep him in the attic.
0: It's selfish for Andy, yeah.
1: You mean it would be selfish of Andy, yeah? Because he would be putting them in the attic simply so that he would have a memory to hang on to of the fact that they exist. This is this is a again another existential drama here where. We're talking about toys. So the reality is that in Andy's mind, these are not sentient beings, and it's not selfish necessarily, but maybe it is. Like, we can think about it in terms of all the stuff we have. I mean, I can look around my house right now, and I've decluttered many times. I still have a lot of crap. I mean, entertainment stuff, fun stuff, whatever, clothes, I have plenty of stuff that I don't use that I like to just have there, even though I know I'm never going to watch that movie, that DVD again. I haven't touched it in 10 years. Maybe there's somebody out there that loves that movie whose favorite movie in the world is Jurassic Park three. And I could give that away and that would better suit them than being in my quote attic.
0: Yeah. That that's a question that definitely gets, gets not just played with, but really just kind of, kind of hammered in is that what value do the toys have and to whom do they have that? And I think for Woody, there's something in me that feels like he knows he's going to get pulled apart. Like he's, he he knows he's going to get pulled away because he's been Andy's toy for the longest time. Like it's been, been Andy and Woody this whole time. It's what started toy story. It's what continued through the the sequel and it concludes here. And so I feel like when he, When he says that, when he says I have a kid, you have a kid, Andy, and if he wants us in the college, if he wants us in college or in the attic, I think what he's thinking is, I know I'm probably not going to go to the attic because he loves me that much. That's my personal, you know, vantage point. I don't think he is naive enough to think he's going to go in the attic. And so I think it's easier for him to say that because he knows his life with Andy is going to move on, and that's always been important to him. But when you bring up the point about that, about that togetherness, there is something really interesting because it seems like the toys themselves have shifted to just having a life period. They'd rather have a life at all than to have a life in the garbage because that's not a life. That's death, obviously. That's the only death that I think a toy ever has is, is going into an incinerator or, or just completely being destroyed or being thrown away. And so for them, it's kind of a sad thing to think that going into an attic and having the old TV and having the old games and things that could entertain them. That's kind of a, that's kind of a limited life for them. And it's kind of sad that they have to settle for that. They have to settle for, we know we're probably not going to go to college with Andy. So going to the attics, the next best thing. And I'm like, man, that's frustrating. But of course it sets up a really nice adventure for them as they get a second chance over at uh, Sunnyside Daycare, at the hands of <laughs> Lotso the teddy bear, and if if there's a villain that you could pinpoint it being like fully fleshed out, I think Lotso probably takes the cake when it comes to animated villains. He, um, we talked a little bit about this on Toy Story too, how he didn't really care much for Stinky Pete for a number of reasons. But one reason that I can definitely validate with you is that he wasn't nearly the villain that Lotso was. I think the agency that, that Lotso has, the the way in which his backstory comes to uh comes to be known, makes his characterization a lot more layered. And he says when the kids get old, new ones come in. He's describing time at the at the daycare. When they get old, new ones replace them. You'll never be outgrown or neglected never abandoned or forgotten no owners mean no heartbreak now this is before we get his backstory but what do you think at this point has shaped his thinking on this experience i mean do you think that he <laughs> comes from a positive background well no i mean he's
1: clearly jaded and bitter and uh th- this whole thing is is fascinating i i love him as a character because I truly, at all times, no matter how much I am currently hating him or being upset by him, want to hug him and smell him. I really do. I, I think he is the most adorable bear. And I, I I just, I love that juxtaposition of sort of evil but for understandable reasons. He's, he, he's not even, I don't know that he's purely evil. I mean, this, this movie plays out like a prison drama for the middle act. It really, it really, really does. It's got all these elements of it, of that to it. You know, it's got this great moment where we talk about the, the big walls on the outside and we have the um, cinder block walls. The guards are going around on shifts. We have security cameras, there's jail cells and Lotso is the warden and everything is explained, you know, that this is a situation where you've got to pay your dues and do your, do your part and start at the bottom. And, you know, once you kind of get some seniority and you get here, you know, you get to rise up a little bit and get some more privileges. It's not a lot unlike the military in some ways. And I found myself during that initial speech going, I don't see the big problem. (laughs) Um, I really did. Now where it becomes a problem is when you lose choice. Right. Mm -hmm. And Barbie drops this very libertarian line. At one point she says, authority should arise from the consent of the governed, not by the threat of force. And I'm just like, Whoa, what is happening? Barbie. (laughs) But, um, but that's where it kind of goes awry. Where, when we, when it's not something that it, it, it's something that is forced upon you, and it's like okay, there is going to be a negative result if you don't play, if you don't choose to do this thing. Yeah. So anyway, all that being said, I I love the way that Lotso is set up as a villain, and I even before knowing his backstory, I think I immediately feel like there must be a backstory.
0: You know what I mean? Like, you know, there's a reason. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely something there because if you're at least a half informed cinema goer, you're thinking, who's the villain? And if it's a, I mean, and if you see a big, a big purple teddy bear that smells like strawberries, you've got to think, hmm, that's probably a little bit of dramatic irony right there. He's probably the villain. So when he makes that comment, it's almost like it's a sales pitch that's getting you set up for what the real thing is. And then it turns into, turns into sunny side redemption, you know, where we're looking for our Andy Dufresne, who tries to escape because we've just got this, you're right. We get that prison kind of mentality and everybody's on lockdown. I mean, even down to the little baskets that function as cages, I think really just amplified the sense of losing that ability to choose. And in a lot of ways it it's kind of scary. Like this is one that I didn't want to kind of expose my five-year-old to because there are some pretty dark moments here. Yeah, uh, yeah, there are. And, and I'd have to probably explain to him, you know, what's going on here because he might like you latch on to, to lots of and be like, why is that bear so mad? But of course we get his backstory later on and it softens him up. No pun intended again. And, and we see the fact that it's different than being, it's different than Emily from Toy Story 2, in that she just grew out of Jesse and she moved on, he was just forgotten and replaced. You know, it's one thing to be lost, but then to walk back or get back to your owner and see that you're now insignificant because you're not, you know, you have just essentially been replaced by... I, which would be weird. I another you. <laughs> it's like a clone of some kind. I don't know. We're getting into AI existential. Yeah. So his, his motivation becomes, uh, kind of, kind of refreshing in terms of going beyond being upset because he could deal with that on his own, but he brings big baby down with him. You know, she actually, I, I don't know if it's a he or a she, but big baby is about to go up and say, Hey, I, I I haven't been replaced because yes, you have. We've all been replaced. And he goes into like almost Hitler-esque mode about convincing these other toys that life without a permanent owner is better than life with a permanent owner that forgets you. And there's some truth to that to an extent, but he twists it and makes it all kinds of jaded. And it definitely comes out in that, in that middle act.
1: It's the opposite of it's better to have loved and lost than to never have loved at all. It's the opposite of that is what his feeling is.
0: Yeah. he feels like it's
1: better to not have loved than to have loved and lost essentially. Um, and he, yeah, he's, dude, he's so mean. There's, there's another, a big heavy, like brainy line that connected with me where he's talking to Woody and he says, and this is, this was the insult of the movie for me. And he says, you think you're special cowboy? you're a piece of plastic. You were made to be thrown away. I was like, dude, like that is, that is like as cold as it gets. you, You were made to be thrown away. Like that is hurtful. That is hurtful and angry and mean. And it made me mad and I didn't like him in that moment. But again, there's Not necessarily truth to that, but you know, it comes from a a jaded worldview where you can understand why he thinks that because ultimately to him, every toy's existence is to eventually be thrown away. Uh, And it doesn't matter to him what happens in between because all that matters is the end. All that matters is that that's going to happen at some point. So who cares how good it was leading up to that point?
0: Yeah. And, and when I see life at the daycare It parallels life in an attic because then you can make the comparison to, okay, we could live in an attic where we don't get played with at all, but we're safe. We know we're not going to get beaten up by the SIDS of the world, or we could have life after Andy and go to a daycare where we're going to take a chance on getting beat up and misplayed with by young children or get taken care of by older kids who understand how to take care of us. And so now you have these really insane choices. And and the movie basically says, no, one is clearly better than the other for your own personal safety as a toy. But then of course they offer that third choice, which is, you know, attic trash or giveaway. And there's a little subset of giveaway, which is giveaway to a daycare where you don't know who it's going to go to or giveaway to a specific owner. And that's what I think is where the poignancy really comes in and where the film eventually lands on probably one of the best story beats and how the trilogy sort of kind of finishes itself in a perfect way with that, uh, with that last moment.
1: I totally think so too. What, one of the other big ones that affects me or that I came away with more questions than answers is, barbie at one point i love the barbie and ken subpline oh i love it too it's so fantastic i i also and before i get into that because ken is one of the new characters i love in general all of the new characters i know you mentioned that about toy story 2 and this one it just has it feels like even more of them you've got you know buttercup lotso ken you have the phone that you know kicks off its phone and talks through it you got dolly Um, That awesome, stretchy octopus that reminds me of Hank from uh, Finding Dory. You have Big Creepy Baby. You've Chuckles the Clown, which, by the way, is an awesome moment when Chuckles is standing in the window and, like, recounting the story of Lotso. Yeah. You have Chuckles, who looks like this evil, creepy, absolutely like Chuckles should be the villain, and yet Chuckles is the emotional core, like, sweethearted, like... Depressed one and Lotso, the really cute, cuddly bear that should be nice, and you know, is the evil one. I, I love that imagery. Totoro is in this movie. I had totally forgotten. <laughs> I sent out a tweet today with a picture of Woody hugging him. I had screen capped it because I was like, "Look at this!" I had I forgot totally that Totoro was in this. You have the symbol monkey, creepy symbol monkey, who's you know watching the the security footage. So the, the characters in this just, I love it. I love all of them. So fun. But the thing about Barbie and Ken, when they meet up, I think it's Ken, he says, when I see you, and maybe they, I think they share this sentence together, it's like we were made for each other. And there's this idea put forth that they are soulmates in some ways, right? Because they literally, they are toys that were made for each other. And then the film does something very interesting, I think because we have another relationship that takes the opposite kind of view on this. We have Woody and Jesse who should be a couple because are they not also made for each other? I feel like they are, but yet buzz spends a whole movie trying to get Jesse's affections and ultimately wins her over. And so Jesse chooses Buzz, who is in so many ways the opposite of Woody, which was the person that was made for her. And then we have that compared to Barbie and Ken who were made for each other and choose each other. And I find that just fascinating. I, I don't know why, but it's I don't think that they're trying to say anything by it. I, I just think it's it's pretty incredible and thoughtful that they would give both of those different sides of that relationship. And, and and I don't know what the purpose of it is, but you know, maybe it's intentionally trying to make sure we don't look at Barbie and Ken and think, Oh, Hey, these are soulmates that there is another option out there. You know, you still have freedom of choice. I just, I loved watching that play out, man.
0: You know, I, I didn't pick up on that as much as you did. And, um, but I'm, I'm glad that you did because I think what it does is it, it amplifies the, challenging of our perceptions in this movie and hearkening back to what you said about, um, about Lotso who would appear to be the not, he wouldn't appear to be the villain at first sight, but he turns into that. Um, And then you have the clown who, when you first look at him, as you mentioned, you would think he's the villain. And I think these relationships um, are an extension of that maybe not intentionally meant to be like a giant subplot, but at the very least, what they, what they do is they expose the fact that these toys have some kind of consciousness. They have some kind of choice and whether through hilarious means or dramatic means, they're making choices um, in relationship to each other. They're not following a set path anymore. And I think that comes from exposure to their owners. You know, when, when we get a Buzz Lightyear straight out the box, the whole point of Toy Story or not the whole point, but one of the big points of Toy Story is seeing Buzz take on an identity of his own and not just be another space ranger and how he's able to balance that. And in a lot of ways it reminds me a lot he's of a Spanish
1: space ranger.
0: He is, and it, which I think is a hilarious new take on that. And it, it, those are some of the funniest moments with him funniest doing the funniest thing in the world. Dude. I know it is. so. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> it reminds me of the way
1: my daughter dances. I'm not kidding you. Like she dances like this weird, like genie like thing with her hands in the air and she's like bobbing her head. <laughs> and it's very buzz circling
0: Jesse like, oh, my gosh, I was gut laughing. I want to see it. that. I want video. I
1: football. will take some. Okay.
0: But, but I think that it's it's normal. I would say that what we see in these relationships is something that isn't surprising to me, but it's not surprising because I'm used to it. It's it's not surprising to me because this is how the world works in the world of these toys. They've gotten history. They've gotten exposure to the world around them. And so they develop these individual personalities wh- that makes them able to have relationships whether romantic or otherwise, with other types of toys. And and I love the fact that they don't kind of go deep into that, that it's just sort of hinted at, because that's not the point of the movie. The point of the movie is not, oh, will you know, will Buzz and Jesse get together? Find out next time on Toy Story Adventure. You know, it's not that way. It's a Sub, 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 subplot that adds some great humor, but it's consistent with the way in which the films have been set up. And it, it, it tells a lot about the history of these characters. So I think by the time we get to that moment with Jesse and Buzz, it's earned. You know, it doesn't feel weird and it's cute and it's sincere and it's hysterical all at once. And, and I think it's fantastic. Well, I wanted to, uh, to finish off before we talk about our connecting points to say that Uh, You mentioned that this movie was nominated for best picture and uh, Randy Newman, as we mentioned on toy story two, who, by the way, uh, let me just say the Newman family is incredibly talented. If you scour the internet and put Newman composer, you're going to find more than just Randy. You're going to find like a whole just clan of talented musicians that are all over like film and television. So if you like Randy Newman's, uh, lyricist style and his score style, check out his family members. I think his son is doing a lot of great stuff, but he, uh, he won the Oscar for best original song for We Belong Together, which I think was possibly, um, a, a way to say, Hey, you know what? We missed, we missed something in, in, in Toy Story with, uh, you got a friend in me. You know, I don't know if, I don't even know if he got nominated, but I feel like you've got a friend in me deserved. Uh, At least some Oscar love in that regard, because Randy Newman just he brings it in this last installment. And I'm glad that he he got that kind of love from the uh, from the Oscars with this best original song win.
1: Yeah, me too. I, I again, I don't know that it's my favorite. In fact, it's probably my third favorite of the three original songs, but I am totally okay with it getting recognition almost as a placeholder for all three Works in his scoring and his original songs. I, it, it, it makes me sad all over again that War for the Planet of the Apes, you know, wasn't recognized for anything at the Academy Awards because it would have been nice for it to have something to walk away with as well. Yeah.
0: Well, all right. Let's move into our connecting points and finish this out with a bang. uh Aaron, do you want to go first? You want me to? I'll go first. Sure. Okay.
1: I almost chose yours. Uh, we'll, you'll talk about that, and that would have made us three for three on picking the same scene. There was another scene that I think, for me, maybe just a little bit more connecting. I don't know. They were really, really close. The one that I'm going to go with, though, is the incinerator. It is one of the most powerful moments still in any Pixar film that we have seen. You and I love to talk about stakes. This is an emotions podcast that's important for emotions, and emotions come when things matter. Mm Mm-hmm. And if things don't matter for the characters, then there's no point. This is the third film in a trilogy. And I'll—I when I'm watching it, I know that. So for me, I had a real fear that maybe not all these toys were going to make it out of this incinerator. I truly felt the film set me up to feel that way. I, I believed it. What really strikes me in this moment, though, the animation is incredible. Technicals are just so wonderful. But it's all about how Woody and Buzz save Lotso. That's what starts this off. And then they have to rely on him to save them in return by him turning off the incinerator. He goes, he catches the side, and he starts to climb, and they actually go over and they push his butt up so that he can get up there to go hit that stop button. And it's the fact that they don't have their trust rewarded. He bails on them. He gets up there, and he turns around, and he walks away. And then, when they are moving towards that incinerator, you have this look on their faces that I will never be able to get out of my head. Like, I will forever remember the animated eyes and that plastic, when the realization comes across their faces that this is it, there is no saving grace. It's it's done. We are going to burn in this incinerator now. And Buzz reaches out and he takes Jesse's hand. She actually says, Buzz, what do we do? And he doesn't respond with words. He just he takes her hand. And it's like there's this acknowledgement of, Amongst all of them in this moment that they can't be saved and they accept their fate, but they they're dying together as a family and they all join hands It is, dude. It is. It made me cry. I'm not going to lie. And it's just very, very moving. And then I love that we get a wonderful sort of gag in a way of the claw coming down. And they're rescued out of nowhere, of course. And that's fine. It's a, it's an animated movie. I don't want them to burn, but I love it because they're saved by the claw by the aliens who worship the claw. And, and it's like this fun little thing. And the other thing that about this whole, this whole scene is that it's different. It does not have a redemptive arc for the villain, which is very rare. Usually when we have a character like Lotso, ultimately they're going to make the right decision or they're going to end up sacrificing themselves in some way that kind of up, you know makes it yeah it makes up for their past doings, their wrongs. But in this case, it took a lot of guts to write a story where the villain does not change and despite the fact that he was saved by the heroes. And I think it provides a great message for kids about kind of how you can get back at bullies because Woody tells the other toys when they say they want to go get revenge that Lotso isn't worth it. And I like this idea that you don't always have to attack those that attack you. And so there's a lot going on throughout this scene and it kind of connects with me in multiple different emotional ways.
0: Yeah, there's a... um... I think that if we had to pick a connecting point, it would have been one of two scenes, and that was going to be my other one. Uh, I, I think there were just two definitive ones that stood out, and and I'm I'm with you. I'm glad that we didn't have that redemptive arc for for Lazzo, and we got to see his comeuppance. You know, we get to see him pasted to the front of a a a diesel truck, and better um,
1: close your mouth.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but that scene. The fact that they didn't have to have dialogue from the moment that they start holding hands, uh, put a lot of trust in the animation. You know, this is the, this, that was a risk, you know, do we, do we put the focus on the expressions or do we put a line of dialogue in here? Cause we know that Pixar writers can write, but it took uh it took a big risk and it paid off for them just to say, Hey, let's just let the animation do the talking. Well, the one that you did not pick that I did, um, Has to be the final scene of the film, and as I was as I was researching this, I ran across an article just after the film came out, and it was talking about the idea of why men were leaving the theater crying. (laughs) And this was a this is a journalist, and she was walking out of a screening. She's like, there were so many men that were just walking out of this theater just in tears, and she said, why was that? And I, I could understand that because this is the moment that just is the line that separates being a kid and being an adult. You know, Andy is consciously choosing to give his toys to another person. And this is different than giving them away to some unknown daycare or some place like Goodwill, because when you give your toys to someone else implies that you're going to trust them with taking care of those toys. You're saying, this is a piece of me that I'm handing off to you that I know that you're going to take care of. And he feels like Bonnie is going to put just as much love into those toys as he did. And I started thinking about how this is going to be what it's like when my son goes off to college or when he gets married, I'm going to have to let him go. Well, even when he gets his driver's license, for goodness sake, (laughs) when he starts making choices for himself that I don't have any kind of input in, or at least I don't have very much influence I have to just trust that the next step is going to be okay. I have to trust that he is going to be a, a person who will make the best choices. And when he doesn't, because he don't, he, he doesn't make the best choices, just like I don't. Uh, and when he continues to make those those choices poorly or successfully, I'm going to be there for him. But I have to be able to let that go. I have to be able to let him go to do his thing. And I remember having toys that i eventually gave away and i re- i remember it being a lot easier for me to give them to someone or to an organization because i didn't want to think about where they would be you know i was kind of like well if i just give them away if i just if i just close my eyes and and put them in this box and i just walk away i don't have to think about them anymore and and that was my grieving process for for a lot of toys it's my grieving process whenever i have to get rid of things in my, in my office and we do our spring cleaning. I'm like, okay, yes, just give it away. Just give away. If we give it to Goodwill, okay, I'm going to walk away now. And um, there was a quote that I read that really sums up this last scene. And it says that Andy lets go in the most meaningful way possible, knowing that the joy that he had in playing with his toys is best experienced by a child with an imagination, stretching in the motto of Buzz Lightyear to infinity and beyond. And it's such a beautiful scene because as he sits down and starts playing with her, with the toys, (laughs) it's like, he's saying, here's my one last hurrah. And it's also him saying here, I'm, I'm handing it off to you. It's like this weird kind of sincere, crazy transition. And it's beautiful. And I can see why men left the theater crying because it, he's, it's, it's, he's becoming a man, you know, he's, leaving for college and he's giving this big part of his life up in this one moment. And it's, it's, it's really is beautiful.
1: Yep. I had the same reaction and this was the other scene that brought me to tears too. So I was a man, I wasn't leaving a theater today when I rewatched it, but I I was a man walking from my couch to the other room to get Kleenex. Um, So uh, it's the same for me. I love that. I love that. Love, love, love that moment. Uh, with him playing with her, I think that is so impactful. That transition moment, like you said, that last hurrah, and when you were talking at the early part of the podcast tonight about how Andy is giving that speech and he's telling the toys and Buzz, he says Andy is not going to give up on us. He's not going to you know forget us. The perfect line here brings it all back and kind of rewards his faith because. Andy says to Bonnie, the thing that makes Woody special is he'll never give up on you ever. He'll always be there for you no matter what. And I just, I, I, it crushes me like in a happy way because it's like, that's it, right? That's where you see Woody's belief in Andy coming together with Andy's belief in Woody. And it is
0: just beautiful. And it's the perfect ending. It is story. the perfect
1: ending. And speaking of it being a perfect ending, um, one last thing before we go. It's not going to be the ending now. So we we know that there is going to be a Toy Story 4, and it is coming in 2019. What do you think about that?
0: <laughs> well, I, I don't like it. Um, I, I don't think that you... Ha- I don't think that you can improve on this story. And I don't think that Pixar needs to tap that well anymore because it's been, it's been done not only from a financial standpoint, but from a narrative standpoint, it's complete. And I feel like it'll do an injustice to this trilogy. If you continue it, Uh, particularly with similar characters with Woody and buzz, I, I wouldn't mind so much. If the Toy Story brand became about other toys, if it was a brand new set of toys, but then you wouldn't call it Toy Story 4, you'd call it something else. Uh, But for me, I don't see a need at all for this. And to me, honestly, it's kind of frustrating because you're you're, you're, you're ruining it. (laughs) You're doing it wrong. (laughs) Don't.
1: So I I have to agree. I, I feel like there is zero need for this at all. Um, Everything feels complete. Everybody's going to be on their own elsewhere. Nothing needs to be done to bring them back together to enhance this. You, you can't, I do not feel that you can possibly make it better. I've racked my brain trying to think of ways that might story beats that could potentially do that. And I just don't see that they exist. It truly is just right. So I'm very reluctant to get excited at all for a new movie in this series. What I will say is, I think Toy Story 3 may have been Lee Unkirk's first direction credit. If not, it was early in his career. John Lasseter passed the torch. Uh, Lee Unkirk had written some of the previous Toy Story work and been involved in other Pixar work, but he Knocked it out of the park as a director, and Leon Kirk, for those who don't know, is is the one who just recently did, um what's that movie? Coco, as well. This movie is being directed by Josh Cooley, who up until this point has basically just been an animator and a voice actor, and his big credit to his name is that he wrote the screenplay for Inside Out. This is going to be his first direction. So I, you know, other than like shorts. And so I I just, if there's so many unknowns, the screenplay isn't like, nobody knows anything about it yet. It's due out, I think next summer. And there's no, no plot that's been released. I'm kind of still hoping that that it just dies. I'm hoping it just goes away that we fill that slot with something else. Pixar has done such a great job for the most part thus far of not, getting sucked into that Disney well of just putting out content after content after content to try and maximize profits based on people loving something and letting the storytelling stand for itself. And I, I'm, I'm scared that things are changing. I'm scared about this. I'm scared about Incredibles too. I guess we'll see what happens, but um, for me, yeah, this trilogy is going to have to just, live on its own, I think, separately than from that story.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think Toy Story 3 should be the final installment. And I guess I can be cautiously optimistic about Toy Story 4, but you know, we'll see what 2019 brings. Um, Aaron, thank you so much for this, 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 uh, celebration of a hundred episodes. Uh, I'm so glad that, that you suggested doing this trilogy. And, um, if you've been listening to this, thank you for listening. Thank you for, coming along this journey with us. If you want to keep the conversation going about any of these movies or anything else that we've covered, you can uh, find us at dot and you can always check in on our Facebook group where a lot of conversation is happening, not just about the movies that we cover, but about movies in general, about uh, just film stuff that, uh, that people bring to the table. It's a really, really fantastic community. And I love the fact that it's grown so organically and that people are just contributing left and right in their own individual ways. If you want to find out more about me or talk to me about uh, any of this stuff, you can catch me at Shoeless Patch, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H. I'm on Twitter and Facebook. Just do a search for Patrick Hicks. You can find me on Facebook there. Be sure to tag me, at me, do whatever you can to get my attention. Aaron, what about you? If you'd like to connect with me, you can
1: find me in that Facebook group, or you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, et cetera, by looking for Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. And you can also find me tweeting out of the Feelin Film Twitter account as well. Next week, Patrick, is pretty exciting. I'm another, another movie that I am cautiously optimistic for. <laughs> this is going to start a run, I believe, of like four movies in a row in the theater it's at least three if not four it's a lot yeah. this is a busy month for us of blockbusters that we're covering and it's again it's exciting so all of them have some excitement around them and all of them also have some nerves around them so we <laughs> hopefully maybe we get like one major hit out of out of all these but uh, next week we're going to be covering tomb raider my favorite video game series i'll talk more about that next week um, and we are going to have awesome Andrew Dice back with us to talk about that movie. So doubly great way to start off the next hundred episodes, if you will. So please go see Tomb Raider and then come back next week to listen to our discussion on it. I'm really hoping Patrick, that this one breaks the video game curse crossing my fingers. We shall see.
0: It'll be a lot of fun regardless with that, with that discussion of us, uh, talking with, with Andrew. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate the conversation. It's been great. Thank you guys for listening and until next time, stay positive and keep feeling filled.